All right, well, we are in 1 Peter, uh, loving, loving this book. I, I know I've shared this with you each of the last couple of weeks, but it's been a pretty important journey for me to, to walk through this letter. Uh, it's a different kind of letter than uh, what Paul writes. Paul will write to Timothy or to Titus, or he'll write to uh, the Galatians or the Ephesians or the Philippians or the Colossians. Those are all Paul's letters, and they're to a church or a cluster of churches or a leader uh, or a, an apprentice. They're letters written to a specific destination. Peter's letter has a different feel to it. It's part of why I asked Blessin last week and Tula this week, and we'll hear from more people in the weeks to come to share their experience of the gospel going forward because Peter's writing into a variety of places. He's writing into Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. He's writing into kind of like the, the spread of Christendom, the dispersion that has taken place as Christianity goes throughout the Roman Empire. Peter's writing and saying, and we've said this before, but I'll say it again. He's writing to all y'all in the body of Christ. There's not a specific issue in play, but many issues in play. So Peter's goal is not to answer, how do I get at the, at the specific persecution that they're facing or the specific challenge that they're up against or the specific theological uh, error that they're, that they're up against. His goal is to treat this broadly. How do we as followers of Jesus live in this life now? Last week, we talked about the, the slack line and the picture of Peter just drawing this line from the work that Jesus has done in the past to the completed and future work that is waiting for us, just the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And now he's going to spend some time talking about life in the middle. What does it look like for us to be resilient disciples going through this, this physical life here and now with a secured past? and a guaranteed future, how do we live today? And what you're going to see as Peter goes into this section today is that the thing that takes us through from point A to point B, from our past to our future, is a resilient joy. A resilient joy that we learn how to live in no matter what the circumstances. So let's read the text for today. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 6 through 9. Verses six through nine. All right, it says this. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it has been tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thank you, Peter. What an amazing, amazing text. Peter starts by saying this. He says, in this you rejoice. Okay, so I just want to give you a little bit of a, an idea that he's still referencing. In fact, in the Greek, uh, it's been talked about that this is one giant sentence, basically. You can see in the English, it's broken up with some periods. And so there are sentences in the English, but the Greek just kind of ends up in this sort of like this shot of what Peter's trying to communicate. 
And so what he's talking about is the fact that you have Jesus's finished work and you have this salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You have these anchor points. And he says, in this, you now rejoice. That is what Peter is going to be building this particular section on. That you, as a follower of Jesus, have your anchor points. And in that, you right now rejoice. That is the, the posture that he is declaring over us. If you notice, it's not necessarily a command, it's more a descriptor, saying this is how the Christian goes through this life full of discipline joy. So rejoicing, just so that you know, uh, is the idea of choosing joy. To rejoice is to actually express your joy, but it's oftentimes a discipline. Rejoicing doesn't always come just in like the high moments where something beautiful happens and you rejoice. Rejoicing is also the thing that can happen in the very low moments. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I choose to worship. I choose to express joy. I choose to give Jesus honor and praise with my lips, with my heart, with my mind, with my actions. That's the idea of rejoicing. And, and Peter says, in this you rejoice. You have these anchor points and the steadiness of the slack line that goes between is the, the option to have joy no matter what. Why can you have joy? Because you have your, your, your anchor point in the past. Jesus' completed work, done, finished, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that's created the living hope in which you now live and that hope is for an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading your salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so now you get to live a joyful life. Now, Peter knows that this is not going to be an easy life. So your rejoicing is not because of good circumstances. Your rejoicing as a follower of Jesus, being a resilient disciple of Jesus, we're using that word because being a disciple of Jesus comes with great difficulty. It is extremely difficult hard to be a disciple of Jesus. It is not the easy road. It is the narrow road Jesus talked about. It's costly. It's going to cost you potentially jobs or relationships or future plans or finances or physical well-being. It's going to cost you. And Jesus knew this. He knew that he was calling people into a situation where they would be hated by the world, where they would be persecuted by the world where the world would work actively against you. See, here's the thing. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you have no intention of being one, you are going the, the flow of the river of the world. It's generally speaking pretty easy because there's very little resistance. I'm not saying life is necessarily easy, but you're not meeting resistance as a person that's just going with the flow of the world. But to choose to follow Jesus is actually to say, okay, I'm going to reject the direction that the enemy is pointing things. I'm going to reject the corruption that is in the world and the, the flow of the river, and I'm going to reject even what my own flesh desires. The things that wage war in me, the things that I want, but I know in the Spirit of God that I actually don't want, that are not right for the character of God in me. And we're choosing to swim against that stream, to go upriver, to choose to live a different way than the way of the world, and that is the way of Jesus. It's harder. 
And it comes with a significant amount of resistance. So Peter writes this. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Okay, great language here. So Peter recognizes uh, that there's going to be suffering. This is going to be an ongoing theme of the letter that Peter writes. He knows that people are experiencing, he calls them various trials, but they're experiencing sufferings for different reasons around the Roman Empire. This, honestly, is pre the hard stuff when they get to Nero and Nero starts burning Christians at the stake. We're not there yet, but there is still a growing suffering that's taking place. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's a Jewish contingent that does not want that to take place. There's a Roman contingent that does not want that to take place because in both of those circumstances, if you say Jesus is Lord, that doesn't work for them. And so to be a follower of Jesus is growing in being counter the culture of the world, and nobody is happy about the directions that followers of Jesus are moving. So Peter writes, and he says, though, uh, now for a little while. Okay, so this is important for you to understand how the writers of the New Testament understood the timeline of the world that we're in. Okay, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. That, that whole idea of time Uh, The biblical writers look at this and say, our life today is like a mist. It's like a vapor. Where we are on the the spectrum of eternity is a minuscule amount of time compared to what eternity actually is. And so when Peter looks at this, he's not anticipating them having, uh, oh, just a month of suffering or a year of suffering or 10 years of suffering. He's not looking at it through that lens. He's saying whatever the duration of suffering is, it is for a little while. I want to take you over to Romans chapter 8, verse 18, where Paul writes something similar. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This picture of, of what Paul's writing is that this present time, whatever the window is, it's kind of like, However long you're going to experience suffering, just know it's not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. This is temporary. That is eternal. And so for the New Testament writers, they're seeing Jesus' finished work and they're able to point back to that and say, okay, well now we have the resurrection. We know what our future selves are going to look like. The resurrected Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. He's the the picture of the resurrection life. And so now we look forward to a day when we will embody that same resurrection. And so in the meantime, we're living life that's short, that's purposeful, intentional, and missional by design. See, the thing about eternity is this. You will get to worship the Lord for all eternity if you are a follower of Jesus. Right now, our hearts are are panging for, their desire is to be together with other saints to worship Jesus. I don't know if you're feeling that longing, just wanting to be with other people worshiping Jesus. And there's this, this knowledge that ultimately, this is for a little while. Now, I realize that it's been about five and a half months. We're talking about COVID and some, in some levels, this kind of short burst of time. But for many believers around the world, that duration is significantly longer. The opportunity that they have to worship, to gather, to be together is, is much fewer and much further between. 
the idea of suffering for a little while, Peter's trying to gear us up and to say, whatever you're facing, long, short, it's kind of irrelevant. You need to know that this picture is it's temporary. And there will be a day when eternity sets in and that eternity, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading is what you have waiting for you. So now you can choose to live in the difficulties of this era with full joy. That's the slack line, by the way, in case you're wondering what I'm doing right here. You can live in this life with full joy because you know what's waiting for you. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations, but if you know there's if you know there's an end in sight, you can, you can withstand pretty much anything. Like it feels like your ability to be resilient goes up when you know that there is a future waiting for you. And that's Peter's understanding. He told us about the resurrection. He told us about the, uh, the imperishable inheritance that's waiting for us. And he's like, we've got that. And so now we can rejoice. Even though right now you've been grieved by various trials for a little while if necessary, this season It's purposeful in its suffering. Now let's talk about that for just a minute because Peter kind of goes into some things with this. He says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Again, sort of irrelevant what the trials are from being burned at the stake to to not being able to find a job because you are a follower of Jesus. The, 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 The span is great in what this has been applied to worldwide. Just so you know, the suffering that Peter is talking about, and he'll go into greater detail as we go through the letter, uh, but that suffering is a pretty broad variety of what kind of suffering Christians have experienced. Uh, We know just currently, different persecution around the world. There's public shaming, imprisonment, uh, family shunning, physical assault, denied work or the ability to provide for your family, social shunning, government disruption of church meetings, denial of property ownership, uh, out-and-out harassment. These are different types of, of persecution that are happening today around the world at present. And so it's important to understand that these are things that have happened for, for years, and none of these even include the physical torture or death that also is taking place. So I just want you to hear that. I want you to understand that Peter's picture is that suffering can happen, and it happens for a little while, and there's a purpose to it. And these are the purposes that he identifies. He says in verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, this is a little aside, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's what he's talking about. The tested genuineness of your faith being proven and revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of suffering and trials today. Let me just tell you this. This life as a follower of Jesus was never meant to be easy. That's never what you signed up for. If your objective in this physical life is to find comfort and ease and safety as quickly as possible, those things are not necessarily consistent with the call of discipleship to Jesus Christ. It is by definition uncomfortable, at times dangerous, and something that we are going into that's going to bring challenge to our life because it goes against the flow of the world. 
Now we have power to do this. We have all of the support that we need. You can do anything pertaining to life and godliness, Peter will write in 2 Peter, that we have all things pertaining to life and godliness through the word and the spirit. It's an incredible thing that's been given to us. But right now you're going through a difficult time. And that difficult time is the course of your physical life and it's doing something. It's testing the genuineness of your faith. See, here's the thing is Jesus is looking for a discipleship that can withstand the challenge of this world. He's invited us into a story. He knew that it was not for everybody. If you read the different stories of Jesus and he preaches, even to the rich young ruler, he says, this is what it costs to follow me. And the rich young man walks away sad because he had much. He was too wealthy. He didn't want to give it up. He didn't want to change his life. And he walks away. Jesus doesn't chase him down and compromise and say, oh, okay, no, no, no. Maybe just give uh, half of what you have. He lets the young man walk away. And it's a devastating, heartbreaking story. But you see that Jesus is saying, look, I'm inviting you into something. It is not going to be easy. But if you come and follow me, I will make you fishers of men. If you come after me and deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, if you seek to lose your life, you will find it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is giving us the way to life, but it is not the easier way. So why would anyone do this? James talks about this same idea. So Peter and James, both involved in Jesus's ministry at different levels. And James writes, he says in James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what James is saying is that you're going through trials and it's refining you. And Peter's saying you're going through trials and it's testing you and proving the genuineness of your faith. But on either side of those things, when you go through trials, awaiting you on the other end is a completeness that James talks about. Or what Peter says is, may it be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus is revealed in full and complete glory you will be standing with him, receiving your inheritance, as Paul puts it, the crown of glory. This picture of what waits us at the end of our difficult and challenging lives that are here for a little while is a picture of glory. So what Peter's trying to do is he's trying to get you to understand how resilience happens. This life is going to be wobbly, but your salvation is set and secured by the finished work of Jesus and it is ready to be revealed in the last time. It is done and finished, complete and secured. There's nothing else that needs to be done. So this life can be lived with full joy because you know what you are waiting for. Now, Peter continues and he says this. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, 
obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a pretty powerful moment where Peter's writing and he says, actually, there's something amazing about you guys. You've never seen Jesus. You've never known him. I mean, you know him, but not like you had a meal with him. You didn't eat some fish with him. You didn't walk on water with him, go for a stroll on the Sea of Galilee. You didn't get to experience life with Jesus. And there's something about that. And I want you to know why Peter is kind of in awe at this moment of the faith of these people that he's writing to. This is John 20, 29. Jesus is speaking to Thomas. He says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. See, Jesus had this picture that that one day people were going to be made into disciples. And those disciples will have never seen physical, risen Christ. And there is a special blessing on those who put their faith in Jesus without ever seeing. And Peter's writing to this generation of believers and he's saying, you have not seen him, but you love him. You've not seen him, but you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Guys, this is you and me. And Peter is blown away at the idea of us having faith. I'm not gonna say it was easy for for Peter to have faith, but it does something to you when you see somebody feed 5,000 people with a Lunchable. Like it does something to you when you take the bread and you take the fish and you share it and it just goes and goes and goes and then baskets full of food are left over at the end of it. it. It kind of makes you think there's something going on here. Or when you do step out of the boat and walk on the water and go and meet with Jesus and you're, you're there and you're standing on the surface of water that you fished in your entire life, every cast you've ever sent out, I'm doubting they had those little red and white bobbers. Every cast you've ever sent out, and they fished with nets. I'm just making a picture here. It always sank. But here you are climbing out of the boat and not sinking. You get a little hasty and chop off a soldier's ear. And Jesus reaches down on the ground. It's kind of the grossest miracle. And he picks up the ear and he puts it back on the guy's head and heals him right there. Does something to you when you see that. And you're just like, that's different. Or when you watch the man that you've given your life to, who you've spent three years with, you've toiled with and prayed with and fasted with and feasted with, and then he's crucified, brutally killed. And then you run and you find his empty tomb. Your heart is beating and angels show up and tell you that he is not here for he is risen. And then you go and you meet with him and you see the risen Christ. And Peter saw him on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 20. And he jumps out of the water and he swims to Jesus. And he goes and he he sits on the Sea of Galilee with him and has a meal with him. And Jesus challenges him and says, do you love me and feed my sheep? It does something to you when you've seen Jesus. And so Peter is looking at this group of people that are believing without seeing. And he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy 
that is inexpressible. Now let's talk about inexpressible joy for just a moment. Some of you um, are followers of Jesus, but the idea of what's being written here just doesn't resonate. Yes, I believe in him and I love him. Yes, I believe in him. I've never seen him, but I believe in him. But when Peter says that I rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, you kind of stop and say, okay, just what does that mean for just a minute, Peter? You're describing something. Again, it's not a command. Peter's not telling us rejoice, like to do. He's describing something. He's saying you have not seen him, but you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. And some of us think of that joy inexpressible and it's just like, okay, that, I'm, I'm still not quite getting that. There are a few of you out there, maybe many of you out there, who know exactly what Peter's talking about. Just that, that deep well of something that comes up out of you, that expresses and manifests in worship and prayer and tongues and in an overwhelming sense of joy in this celebration of the fullness of what Jesus has done. And it just overwhelms you and it can result in, I don't know, things like chills, joy, a smile, tears, just the, the sense of awe and wonder, dropping to your knees, falling to your face, singing, crying, yelling. Anybody ever yelled in worship before? Just yell. And this joy inexpressible, Peter's using it as a descriptor of the Christian life. For those of you that are looking at this and just like, yeah, that is not my experience. I just want to talk to you for a moment. I don't know that Peter is describing a steady sense of joy inexpressible, that no believer at any given moment has a dip in their joy expression. But I think Peter's talking about something that we have access to at any given moment. And I realize that's an I think statement. I don't love making I think statements. Because honestly, I would rather just point to the scriptures and say, this is what it says. But Peter is using a descriptor that is not always consistent with every Christian's experience. So let's talk about it for just a minute. I think Peter's tying this to something that he heard Jesus say. John chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And he says this phrase, he says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. How do you have joy in this life? You tap into the reservoir of life that has been given to you by Jesus himself. If you haven't experienced joy inexpressible, if you don't know the joy of your salvation, today is the day to start diving into the well, the deep and rich and full water of life in Jesus. Look, this life can wear you down. Are you feeling worn down? Can chip away? 
I've talked to friends that are experiencing incredible difficulty. We, we spent time with some teachers this week talking through the, the, the pain and the challenge of trying to do their job with, without actually being able to see kids and challenge them and encourage them and build them up and do the work of, that they signed up for when they went to school all those years ago to be a teacher. And now all of a sudden, they're just talking to a computer screen and it's a different environment. It's something that they never signed up for. Or talking to friends who own businesses who've had to sit down with people that they love dearly and say, I don't have a job for you anymore. Or people that have told their family, I'm a follower of Jesus now, and their family says, that doesn't work for us. We don't want you to follow Jesus, and if you're going to choose that path, we need you to not be around us. All we have, all we have as believers is Jesus. There are immense benefits of Jesus. His spirit, his word, his family, the body of Christ. There's beautiful things, but all we have is Jesus and he is water. And when we drink of him, we will never be thirsty. And what you have, if you're a follower of Jesus today, is a well, a reservoir, a deep reservoir that will never run dry. And if you're reading what Peter's saying, that you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, and you're saying, that's just not my experience, my encouragement to you today is to dive deep into Jesus. Ask him. How do I do this? When life is hard, how do I do joy? What is it about you? Jesus, what is it about you that's going to make me feel joy right now? What is it about you that's going to make me choose joy right now? What is it about you that's going to make me think joy right now? What is it about you that's going to make me speak joy right now? What is it about you that's going to make me hear joy right now? How is it that I, as a follower of Jesus in a difficult world, can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible? Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you meet me and show me the joy of my salvation? Peter says that this is obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I think the importance of of a line like that is that Peter's writing, and this, this was never meant to be a religious contract. Life with Jesus was never meant to be something uh, dry and rote and just repeated without any sense of purpose or connection or experience, or fullness, or any of those things. But when you do not see him, but you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, you're obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Your soul is being redeemed, and it is filled up with the fullness of Christ. What I want you to hear from this message today is that you have, today, now, 
in the finished work of Jesus, in the future releasing of your full salvation, the, the full experience of you being saved. You are saved today if you've given your life to Jesus. That's stated many other places, but there's this salvation ready to be revealed. The full effects of your salvation are ready to be revealed in the last time. And so today, every single one of us can choose joy. And you can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Part of the challenge of our life today to be a resilient disciple is to go on a, on a journey of diving deeper and deeper and deeper into the reservoir that is life from Jesus. That's how we sustain. That's how we have the challenging world around us meet us and we not be crushed by it is we have this reservoir of joy and we choose to live in that joy. We count it all joy. We rejoice with all joy because we have Jesus. There's a, I guess, a practice that's associated with this. There are other places where the scripture commands us to be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always is a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. There is a, a call to you as a believer to, to choose today to express joy and worship and gratitude. How do we handle a broken world? Jesus. And we choose to express that joy. How do we bring hope to a hurting world? Jesus and that deep reservoir. And we choose to express joy and lay it out before this world. They need, they need to see that joy in us. So I want to encourage you, invite you, challenge you, stir you to live the life that Peter has described here. There is not a single one of us that is a follower of Jesus to whom this life is not available today. The reservoir is yours. The water is yours. It's not hidden. It's there. You just choose to dive into it and you get to experience and express the joy of the Lord today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all that you are doing, the way that you are stirring us to life today, to resiliency, to be able to handle incredibly difficult things. It's because you have finished. You have finished the work and you are anxiously awaiting the day where you get to release that fullness of salvation onto each one of us. Jesus, thank you. So for today, we lift you up. We praise you. We rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Holy Spirit, I ask that as we go into this time of worship, you would bring a song to the hearts, maybe not even the words that are on the screen, but a song of your spirit that that kind of just wells up from within us. It may not even make full sense to us. It may not even be complete words or phrases, but Lord, teach our hearts to sing with joy that is inexpressible. Holy Spirit, speak, groan, show us the joy. Lord, would we experience the fullness of joy that you have for us today? 
We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.